The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas Fickendee. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. Listen to Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing a half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I've got my to the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome aboard the big red bus that we call the Mojo Radio Show. The show, the little show program to to give you the tips and tools you need. You can apply to your own world to get your mojo working in or out of work and maybe perhaps you want to share it with somebody else, share it with a friend or a work colleague who's feeling a bit down. You want to help them get their mojo working. This is the program for that. Today, we are on the highway to Mojoville. That's where we're, that's the destination. Mojoville. Driving the big red bus is our chief engineer, Robbo. Welcome to the program. Thank you, mate. Looking, for our, looking forward to our arrival in Mojo Town today. Mojoville. <laughs> Mojoville. <laughs> and, of course, this week, folks, we picked up a hitchhiker. We found him at a truck stop. He was <laughs> leaning up against a Bowser. Yeah. <laughs> He was in the bathroom doing something weird. I don't, don't ask me. He's now slumped in the back seat, AP. Glad you could make it, mate. Glad we found you. Yeah, thank you very much, Bertie. And Robbo. Such an awesome mental image. Some things you can't unsee. And navigating our ride today, our automated studio assistant, the beautiful Lola. Hello, Lola. Hello, boys. Lola, as has become customary, do you have a little road trip track? that you could play to get a start this morning. Last week we went a bit of country. How about a little bit of rock? What's what's a rock vibe for this week, Lola? Okay, we are in gear. We are heading due north to Mojoville. Before we start, Robbo, I hope you've done some homework. Do you have a remarkable fact for us? I've done a remarkable amount of homework. Robbo's <laughs> Remarkable Facts. It's about time. Let's go. Last week when we were chatting to Jay-Z, uh, and in Jay-Z. Partic- Sounds Jay-Z. good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does sound good. We were chatting to Jay-Z. Uh, during this nifty 90, he mentioned that he was a bit of a jazz fan, which, as you would know, because you cop it in the studio when we're getting ready to record, I love a bit of jazz myself. So it started me thinking about the if there were any benefits of listening to jazz. Now, I have managed to research my butt off and get like a, an A4 page worth, which I'll pass on to Gary and he can stick in the show notes. But here's a, here's a few highlights. Did you know that 
listening to jazz can lower your blood pressure by 30%, which the, is the equivalent of losing 10 pounds. Really? Yeah. Also, listening to jazz after a stroke can improve verbal memory, focus and mood. And one big last one, it can also help you sleep better. And that was all it's from a... It's flawed research. <laughs> well, it was... It, it is. Was, it was out of some... Because for six seasons, you have listened to jazz in the studio and you have not lost a kilo. <laughs> well... So there's going to be a caveat. Well, jazz, in brackets, no Tim Tams, no, no Dosecki. Hello, our friends of Dosecki. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll give credit where credit's due. I couldn't, I couldn't find the name of the researcher, but it comes from a study, <laughs> exactly. it comes from a study out of Harvard University. So it's got some credibility anyway. <laughs> Let's let's run with that. Let's just say that. Hi, I'm undercover agent Jay Dobbins. I spent two years living amidst the Hell's Angels, but it was nothing like spending one hour on the Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week is the author of a new book called Come Alive. It's written by a former Fortune 100 exec, Yudan Shi. And this is a book that explores the cost of executive success. It's a it's about Business success, but for you, the listener, for us in the studio, at what cost? You, Dan, has an interesting story as a child who immigrated from China. Get this, graduated high school at eight years old. Eight? University at 17. What? And studying for an MBA at 21. So it's fair to say that with that background, she's going to fit in quite well with the academic nature of our program. (laughs) So... However, in her 30s, she was a senior executive in a big Fortune 500 company and then she almost died and that gave her the impetus or the catalyst to make a change in her life. Now, we all know what it feels like. We're we're busier than ever. Many people you talk to feel trapped or they're unhappy or I guess the word they use is unfulfilled, but they're chasing the idea of success, the, the success we long for, depending on what that looks like, an impressive career or status or wealth, whatever it is. But for a lot of us, it can be a hollow victory. So today, Yudan helps other professionals, executives and entrepreneurs to find that, that more fulfilled life. And thankfully, Yudan is here with us today to chat about the new book. Yudan, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you, Gary, for having me on the show. Now, when people meet you for the first time and they ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? I normally do have a little um, phrase going for it. I I say something like, I'm an executive career coach and you know how often in life we just, you know, keep going and then suddenly we come to certain stage in our life, you might just get a little confused. And you're not sure where you're going anymore. And this is exactly what I do. I help people regain that clarity and be happy again. Yeah, that's what I say. If we take you back to your childhood, you were born in a poor village in China. If you think back to your childhood in China, what was the dream you had for the future? What did you want at that time in your mind? Well, as a child, you're actually very adaptive. So I think for a while I didn't really have much dream. But when I was about seven or eight years old, I finally, we got a television at home. I think I was eight, a black, white television. And this is when the world opened to me. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, there's this world out there. And I was just such a curious child. And I loved reading books. And so I started to read a lot more books 
And yeah, so my dream was always just go to see the world. I would love to see the world. I would love to, you know, um, do the things I wasn't able to do in my village, in my hometown. I would love to, you know, speak a different language and just to see the wonder. Yeah. Were your dreams as a child ever framed by the expectation of your parents? How was the relationship between what you wanted for your own life and the expectations that parents have? Was there a connection there? Yes, huge. I think I was heavily influenced by my parents, especially my mother. She had a very high expectation on me because, um, you know, both my parents went through the Cultural Revolution and not sure whether any you know, listening, knows cultural revolution, in essence, it's a period of time, a lot of intellects, um, you know, um, aren't able, uh, weren't able to give opportunities like my parents to go to university, even though they have, you know, done really well in high school, got accepted in university. So instead, they they, they went away to remote farms uh, to work at the hard labor for entire 10 years. So you could imagine two highly ambitious, highly smart people weren't able to do the things you are meant to do in life in the most you know, prosperous age between 18 to 28. So in a way, their dream got lost. Um, so as the elder daughter, uh, you know, I'm the only hope they had. So naturally, um, they, had, they hoped that I would achieve... Um, the dream they didn't have. So I think from a very young age, I was definitely told that, you know, you could do anything if you wanted and you are the hope of the family and we really wanted you to excel. Um, So, yeah, and I uh, was, um, um, I don't think I had any other opinion except my parents' opinion, to be honest. And you did excel because you made your way into the corporate world. So after doing very well at school, university, you go to the corporate world, did really well. And then in the book, you said you were miserable. But what I'm curious about is you said you were miserable, but that made you work even harder. What what part of you says, ignore the misery? Where, Where does that come from? At the time, I felt like I was the only one had this problem. And now I understand it's very, very common. After we, you know, go through life, quite blindly, what I call achieving blindly, whether it's based on our parents' expectations, societal expectation, or maybe, you know, hardships we went through life and we wanted to be somebody so that we don't get, go through the hardship again. For whatever reason, we, we achieve blindly just trying to get there. And once you get there, you realize that achievement does not necessarily take away the misery or whatever problem you still had somewhere because it you haven't quite fixed the problem. So when you get to that point, when you realize achievement and success did not completely, you know, replace that, didn't give you the ultimate uh, happiness and you were hoping for, you get very disappointed. You get very, very um, confused and you get quite miserable um, in a way. So, but the problem is, um, it is very confronting to face it because Think about this. If you only have set one goal for yourself the entire life and you have hoped that goal would make everything good and when you get there, that did not happen, now what? 
now you have to redo the whole thing again. And uh, not everybody can stomach that. Like, you know, even uh, we might be miserable, but at least we are certain, isn't it? You are in a certainty. So you take on unhealthy habits to numb that feeling so you don't have to think about it. Because your hope is maybe this is just a phase in my life and hopefully through either working hard or numb myself with unhealthy habits or take holidays after holidays or doing excessive retail shopping, I'm just hoping this will get through me this phase of life. For me, I mainly use the working hard. But you could use so many other ways to you know, hide the problem. It's interesting because you, in the book, there was a phrase you used about you had an addiction to relentless ambition, which is a really, it's a very profound statement, an addiction, an actual addiction to relentless ambition. That led you to getting quite sick. How did you break that addiction? Because there, we don't hear about places where people can go to for treatment for that addiction. There are other places you go to for different addictions, but not for that. How did you break it? So true. That's such a great question, Gary. And in fact, I believe for high achievers or for anyone who is highly driven, in fact, I I believe a lot of other addictions come from the addiction to relentless ambition. And that relentless ambition did not give them the happiness so that they take on other unhealthy habits um, to to bridge that, actually. So if we do have a place for that addiction, maybe a lot of other unhealthier addiction would go away as well. Um, So first, just really quickly talk about where the addiction comes from, and then we can talk about what we're going to do about that. That addiction really came from... um, as I mentioned earlier, that a lot of us starting with our life with these dreams and goals and aspirations, but not always it comes from a healthy place. You see, if you come from a healthy place, your ambition, your drive is actually fine. But a lot of us are uh, don't necessarily at a very young age, like I had no idea what really motivated me. I didn't really understand my value. I didn't really understand where my natural talents were, what my passion were, what my purpose was. I didn't. I did it because I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to help out financially. I wanted to make the problem go away. And I didn't want to be bullied anymore because I was always the youngest and smallest one you know, in school. Uh, you know, I went to high school when I was eight years old. So can you imagine that if you place achievement, just trying to cover up all of these things, you didn't start from a very healthy place anymore anyway. So then every time you get to an achievement, you do feel temporarily your problem has gone away. You've got more respect, you've got more recognition, you've got more money, life gets a bit better. So you're like, okay, okay, that's good. So then you do it again, you do it again. Yet underneath all of that, um, you haven't really worked on you know, the, the real thing, what are you trying to achieve? Um, so you become really addicted because every time the addiction, just like any other addiction, simply just makes you feel good temporarily, but it never lasts long. And I talk about in my book, there's the difference between, um, you know, um, this, this thrill and excitement of chasing um, than the actual joy, actual joy and happiness in really achieving doing something meaningful and they both look like achieving but they're so different one's temporarily 
only come to you when something external happen and when it's internal, regardless what achievement you have or not, you're always going to be centered and happy. When you think back, Yudan, you said you had the perfect life and you ticked every box in your mind at that time. You said you had the executive job, the big wage, the view from your office, the cars, the house, the family. It looked like you had every box ticked. When you look back, what was the box you hadn't ticked? The box I haven't ticked is I didn't understand why I was doing all of that. So when I get there, I felt like uh, my misery aside, this is a very distinctive feeling I had, which is I no longer knew who I was anymore. And this is the same phrase I hear from all my customers and any people who's going through the same thing, is this sudden disconnect. It's like, yes, I have all these amazing things. Yes, but I don't know. I don't seem to know myself. How did I get here and why am I here? How were you measuring success back then, Yudan? I think success for me at the time is definitely through recognition. It's definitely through making other people proud. Um, yeah, I, I don't ever, I, I'm not one of these people actually worked for money. So money and status was never that big on me. That's what I said. Everyone has a different intent why they get there. For me, it's just always I wanted to yeah, make my parents proud and help them to get away their problems. So, you know, and so that is, to me, is success. This all came basically unstuck, I guess, if you use that term, in 2008 when you got sick. And you said at that moment when you got sick, you had a conversation with yourself. And what you said was, I felt regret. So, you're at a point where this is a pretty dangerous situation with your illness. You're reevaluating everything. But one of the things you said to yourself is, I've got regret. In your mind, what did you regret then? You know, when you're alive, you hear, always hear people saying when they are on the deathbed, the only thing they had was regret. And I never believed it because I was so young. <laughs> and that moment, that was the only feeling I had. It was regret. I regretted, I felt like I had been given so many opportunities to live a really good and meaningful life. Um, but I felt like I had been so relentlessly, you know, focused on the things to me at that moment felt really trivial. So things like you could spend months and months, you know, arguing about, um, I don't know, it could be a title of something, even though I never cared about title, but it's like, I, I need this thing to be fair. So I'm going to just argue about it and I'm going to be upset about it for three months. Um, things like, you know, you, I, I could honestly have skipped that um, meeting from another country or another city, really could, and, and instead attend something more important in my life. But I didn't because I was so afraid, what would people think of me? Would that compromise me? You know, just they, most of these things are completely, wouldn't have made any damage to my career whatsoever. Yet I was so cautiously lived my life and trying to do everything so right so that other people be happy. And it compromised my health. It compromised the relationship with the dearest one. I, I didn't get to live freely. And that was my biggest regret. And you said your illness was caused entirely by internal stress. At the time, 
I'm just curious when you look back at the time, if you put yourself in that situation with the Harbour View, the big executive job, the role, the cars, or you had everything going, the executive role, and all this came from internal stress. Can you remember what it felt like to have this chronic stress inside of you? Can you remember to embody how it felt for you? Yeah, definitely. Still do remember. Um, And it's more than just what people might think workaholic stress. It's more than that. I actually do not believe it's my workaholics and pushed me to that. It's my internal struggle. It's this inability of making a change in my life at the moment of time, despite I seemed to be successful and seemed to be a capable person. This very much struggle, how could I have got where I am today in running organizations, travel around the world, delivering business presentations, managing multi-million dollars product line, yet I do not have the ability to make positive changes in my life so I can work towards something or even begin, you know, confronting myself. What is stopping me from having this success and fulfillment at the same time? I felt this cowardness in me, but I didn't know how to get myself out of this weak place. That's what I call internal struggle. So working harder is just to cover myself up. And then, of course, that is also unhealthy. Um, So then that just pushed to the extra edge. But most of the time, working harder or whatever, that's just external symptom. The real cause for majority of people's stress is, is these internal struggles, is their inability of making change in their life, is their fear of failure that is causing the biggest mental and physical stress. Yeah, and I remember I struggled with that every single day. And I would go to bed and do nothing about it. And isn't it funny though, you Dan, that if if I'd have taken you back to 2008, 2009, 2007, if I'd have played you a podcast where somebody like yourself was speaking after writing a book about living a life with more meaning and joy, I reckon at that time before you were ill, you would have gone, yeah, it's all good, but I got this. That's not me. I'm on top of that. And then you eat the health scare and you have that conversation with yourself. I guess what I'm curious about is when you look back now and think about this, and you've got your own teenagers who are going to go into the workforce, and cowardice is a really, that, that, that's a powerful word to use with this. And I, I guess where I'm going is that there are people listening to this who go, yeah, wow, you, you really had it, good move, great book, love what you're saying, yeah, but that's not me, I got this. And they are... Too, they have too much cowardice to have a true conversation with themselves. And as David Goggins would say, look in the real mirror of truth. How does the people you coach or yourself, how does one know you're having an authentic conversation with yourself to get through that cowardice or the other word you use was the inability to make change when change is necessary? I think that fear is coming from complete misunderstanding what change is what growth is. My inability was caused by my own assumption that in order to confront my problem, I might end up in a place, I don't know, poor again, I might lose all my drive, I might go move into a small little town, I might have to give up everything I had achieved today. It was completely wrong. It never happened. 
I didn't need to do any of that to get happier, to get clarity, to get joy in life. In fact, a reader wrote to me the other day saying, I was so scared even try to open your book, afraid what that might take me to everything opposite to what I had today. And as I read through, no, change doesn't have to be painful. Change can be enjoyable. So it's our own self-limited belief and this underlying thing that, you know, um, happiness has to be the sacrifice to be successful because my reader primarily are high achievers. And so many of us have this belief in order to go to that, you know, get that fulfillment and happiness, I must give up everything I have achieved today. That is a complete wrong assumption. Once you understand that is your own self-limiting belief, actually success and fulfillment, happiness can coexist. Therefore, all you need to learn is a strategy. All you need to learn is something from someone who has gone through this journey. So at that time, the you know, turning point is after my operation, I decide stop working this out by yourself. Stop just thinking every day in my own little head. I'm c- clearly not an expert on this. So I became more humble. I became more open-minded. I go, you know what? I'm going to find mentors. I'm going to read the books. People have gone through this journey and this is all started. Within three months, I understood what takes to make change without giving up stuff. All it took was three months of learning and being open-minded. When you made change, how did your parents react? I think if I didn't have the health scare, they would be very against to it, um, definitely. I was very fortunate. My mom was by my bedside table when I went through the operation and she could see I was so unhappy. And um, even though I never told her, um, but I think she, she knew um, something was very wrong with me internally. So when I told her, this is what I'm going to do. Um, they were very supportive. I also explained it to them how I'm going to do it. And I, I told them that I have read stories and books from other people who have done this. This is not a scary. I don't need to jump the ship. I don't need to move to a little small town. I can do the work right here. And I'm going to take up a further study. I'm going to equip myself with more knowledge. I believe I have what it takes. I'm just lacking some strategy and knowledge and openness. And this is what I'm going to do. So for time being, I might not continuously climb up. I stay poor. I'm going to spend next year be really open and exploring, study things. And that's what I did. You know, I, I, I studied a lot, but I'd never quit my executive job. And I think that's a difference. A lot of people think they have to quit this fast lane in order for them to be happy. No, you just need to be a bit more open-minded. <laughs> I repeated that word. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's funny, you Dan, when people make this kind of change. Tell me, tell me the psychology that you apply to your own internal dialogue, your own internal voice that prevents you from falling back into the comparison trap. Because you said that your measure of success was how you were doing in the eyes of others. And it was basically out to impress other people, which is what you spoke about in the book. How do you psychologically approach your own internal dialogue so that you don't start comparing yourself to the people that had the life you used to have to fall, so you don't fall back into that trap again? I still struggle some days. I have to be honest. I don't think your journey is ever done. And 
whatever habits and default mindset we have will always come back, especially when time is stressed out. Um, so I still do that. And I think I what has helped me the most is undoubtedly a lot of rituals and habits I have created uh, in my daily life. I always talk to people now, change isn't necessarily drastic change. You don't need drastic change. If you learn how to live every day better, that's the real change. So I spend time in the morning, I spend time in the, in the night, really just get myself centered and really understand why I'm making these, you know, behaviors. Am I in a comparison mode again? Or am I spending time more wisely focusing on what I can contribute the second I'm focusing on myself, I go back to my comparison mode. But the second I just go, what could I do to really contribute? Like what does really bring me joy? What can I make today better? How can I make my practice, my IP, you know, these things more valuable, like removing fear from others? When I focus on others, I forget about comparison. Um, and, and that doesn't happen automatically. I have to almost to create these little ritual and habits, remind myself when I'm in the mode, what do I need to do to get myself out of it, right? So, so you need the willingness to change, but you also need to learn a strategy to catch yourself so you don't fall back. There's the street view on all this, and then there is the scientific or institutional view on all this. And you did a PhD in Wollongong, which took a couple of years on career fulfilment, in your mind, with what you've learnt and combining that with what you see and feel on the street, what gives us true career fulfilment? So first of all, I, I did do my doctorate, but I didn't finish and um, because my kids were really young at the time and I only just recovered my health a few years. Um, so I decided one thing I had learned is priority. Um, so I actually didn't finish. I did all my research. I didn't want to spend time writing dry paper. So my book is kind of like my more fun paper. <laughs> so I just, you, know, you know, this is again about not being, not comparing yourself, understand how you work and don't feel bad about making choices that matters to you, right? So this is all about being authentic and without worrying about how to get that doctorate degree um, and still, you know, being able to, you know, share knowledge with conviction regardless. Um the, the different view between street and scientific view is this. I think um, this, the, pop, the pop culture has drilled down so much in our DNA that almost like happiness and success, um, career fulfillment and career success, almost like it's two isolated concepts. Um, you, if you want to be happy, um, you, you should just be content. You, should, you shouldn't have any, you know... Um, you know, drive or ambition. And if you want to be successful, no pain, no gain. Like do everything you can just to get there. But science actually says it's the other way around. When you are more fulfilled, when you are happier, when you know how to use your natural talents and passion more wisely, you naturally become even more successful. So more people can understand knowing themselves better, helping themselves to live more joy and fulfillment every day will not take the drive away, will not take the success away. In contrary, will only make you more successful, but in a much more meaningful way. You're going to love it 
rather than struggle through just to be successful. And that is the biggest learning I I learned from the scientific research and still so many of us don't understand the relationship between these two. We've had this underlying theme through the show for the last couple of years, which has come from our guest, Yudan, and it's about the identity, the identity that we have in ourselves, the identities, the number of identities we can have, or as Todd Herman called it, alter egos. And I'm wondering when you look in the mirror today, what's the identity that you're wanting to impart upon your own kids? I mean, they're now 14 and 20. They're going to step into the world if they're not already stepping into the world that you came from. What's the identity that you are looking to represent and lead by example in the, in the mind or the eyes of your children? One thing we always talk about in the family is the importance of no self and the importance of knowing you always have a choice every day. Um, so life can be difficult, life can be fun, but, you know, know what you really represent and stand for is so important, especially, I think, for the young people nowadays. And I'm trying to really show up that way. So when I have a bad day, I'm being authentic about it. When I have a great day, I'm going to celebrate it. I think the biggest shift between me and my children over the years is I'm so much more open and I'm not even trying to cover up my own flaws and my bad days. And so for them to realize then, you know, this is all part of life and what actually helps them to, I think, helps them to manage their own life um, so much better. And then the second one is the power. No matter what happens, you always have a choice. You know, the one thing I didn't learn when I was younger is I, even though I was very clever, very successful, what I didn't learn is that I felt I only had one way to live, which is to follow whatever I had been told to do. I didn't feel like I had the choice and power to make gentle shift. And I think it's so important for people to understand you do have power and you almost have that every single day. Every day is a fresh start. Don't wait when it's too late. Are you in the corporate world today? Are you working for a big corporate company today or are you a digital nomad just doing your coaching? What, what's your work day look like? I am based in Sydney for time. I'm not a digital nomad. I run my own executive coaching mentoring business. I work with people's workshops and one-on-ones. Most of my clients do come from corporate. Um, some are business owners. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a very stable, stable business practice. <laughs> Based on your upbringing, uh, living in China, the relationship you had with your parents, just something that I, when I was reading your book, I was interested in asking you is, would you encourage your children to be specialists or generalists? Because a lot of cultures would say to their children, go to university, pick out a profession, be the best at it, study hard, work hard, and be the best at it. There's also the school now that says, actually, we're better off being generalists where, like you say, I spent three months, I read lots of books, did lots of courses. I tried and did lots of different things, which gives me a lot of different skills to essentially stack from to then be able to solve problems for a customer or client. 
From where you came from to where you are today, are you more on the side of the specialist or the generalist? I'm more on the side of the specialist. Um, this doesn't have anything to do with my culture uh, or my upbringing anymore. This is all came from the strength psychology. I have been studying things 2009 during my master of psychology degree. Is that um, and when I say specialist, actually, I don't necessarily mean specialist by a title or by a profession. I mean be exceptional in what you have been gifted with. And the majority of population goes through life, have very little understanding what their natural talents, natural gifts, and natural strengths are. And then secondly, most people, the second they think about gift, they associate with a particular profession. And so therefore your choice is very limited because we all have multiple gifts. So what I promote is actually specialize knowing your gifts and specializing in learning how to turn your gifts into something valuable that makes you happy, makes others happy, um, you know, create that success and fulfillment at the same time. So be specialist of your own talents. Earlier in the show, you talked about the fact that when, if we go prior to 2008, before you had your illness and made some pretty profound changes in your life, you measured success externally. Do you, is there a place in your world today where you still look for external validation at all? Yes. (laughs) Yes, we do. We do. Absolutely, I do. And I, like I said, you know, my whole theory is achievement is wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with achieving. I think the problem is people achieving blindly without purpose, without intent, without clarity, why are they achieving? And this is causing them misery. So achievement and fulfillment are equally important. You know, the fact is that people who make the greatest contribution tend to be the achievers. You know, they have this drive to do things. They have this drive to be really great at these things and this makes the world a better place. But if you learn how to achieve and know why you're achieving, which is where the fulfillment kicks in, you can do this even longer without getting burnt out, hopefully. Um, and so to me, I still do value achieving. Um, I think it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recognition of how well you are contributing to the world. This is how I view achievement today. Do you need other people to tell you that or is that something that you, like if you're doing your coaching and you don't get any external validation for a period of time, does that start to play on you? Is your own internal validation enough or do you still need external validation? For me, pretty much my internal validation is enough. I, um, I, don't, I don't need external validation. That is a great question. Yeah, I don't. I have my daily practice I know, I know the place in the world. I know where I belong. I know what I'm here for. So that's all I need. It's when I'm misaligned with myself, I go back to the self-critical mode. So I don't really need external people to tell me whether I'm doing a good job or not. Yeah. There's a term in the book, or maybe I heard you talk about it. I'm sure. You use the term ambition condition, which sounds like the name of a song or a book. Um, ambition condition. What is that? Really what that means is... Uh, we are all conditioned with different things and different priorities. So and knowing this, whatever you prioritize will lead you to where you are. And um, knowing, therefore, how to prioritize yourself um, is very important, um, you know, very important on this journey. And a lot of people going through this crossroads, what I notice is they start to reprioritize themselves. They start to 
they start to acknowledge their own needs are equally important. Because for a lot of us, um, the reason we misprioritized is because we often prioritize other people's needs and expectations on us as more important. So this this requires re almost require you reparent yourself, reconditioning yourself, going, you know what, what I need, what I want is equally important as well. You mentioned earlier in the show about people perhaps not being honest with themselves or taking the time to consider their own inner strengths or their own passions. Based on what you've done at university, your coaching and your own learning, sometimes those strengths aren't presenting themselves consciously to somebody. How do you how do you step people through finding those strengths? Yeah, great question. I have found a very simple way of helping people to look for it. Um, that is just through your own reaction to something. Do you do you you know do you feel your energy is going up? Or do you enjoy it? Do you love it? Do you find it comes to you naturally? So you know by mindfully observe how your body react to a particular skill set or particular way of thinking, a particular way of doing things, over time you will naturally know what is something you innately possess and what is something you have forced yourself to be good at. Um, so all it takes is being mindful of that. To close this out, if you, if you were to walk up to that young girl with the executive role had ticked all the boxes who, before the illness, 10 years ago, before the illness, if you walk into her office and she is a stream of meetings and emails and pressure, if you could walk up to a young Yudan 10 years ago and put your arms around her shoulder and say something in here, what would you say? I would say, you know, it's okay to talk to me what's happening right now. It's okay, just talk to even one person about what you're really thinking, what you're feeling right now, because there's always solution there. There are people who have gone through this. It is okay. Um, just don't need to make any change. You don't need to be scared of anything and just start brainstorming. Um, yeah, she, she just needed some assurance that it's okay. Brings you the greatest pride today, Yudan, in, in yourself with internal validation. What brings you the most pride? I feel very privileged um, to do what I do today. I feel very honoured. I feel very happy that I actually, um, and I'm still on this journey, like I said, it's never done, but I just know that every day, every year passes, I'm even more clearer with why I'm here. Um mm. I'm also very grateful that I feel like I didn't waste those years of miserable <laughs> years. <laughs> I made meaning out of my experience. You know, I made meaning out of, um, I learned something and I'm able to pass that learning to others. I feel, I feel really, yeah, I feel quite proud and happy that I'm able to do that. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts and thank you for your honesty too. I think the, the genuine authenticity and honesty really shines through when you speak, you Dan. The book is called Come Alive, Live a Life with More Meaning and Joy. Where, where if People who want to follow up on you, your book, your work, where do you send them? Where's the hub? Just come to my website, 
yudanshi.com. And because my name is so unique, almost every social platform you will only find one <laughs> yudanshi. <laughs> is there a a meaning to yudan? Because I I honestly have never seen that name before. Uh, is there is there a, a, a interpretation or, or, or a meaning behind yes. that name? Yes. Yes, yeah, actually meant to hope because I was born the end of cultural revolution. And um, yeah, so Yu means universe, Dan means pink. And um, in my parents' mind, it meant hope because, you know, it's like the yeah, end of darkness. You get to see the sunrise again. That's just the coolest way to finish this show. That not that lovely? That. Do you, do you often think about that, the fact that your name has that feeling? Do you, does, does it a conscious thing you go to from time to time when, when you're sitting down to be grateful? Not really. So thank you, Gary. I will add it onto my ritual. <laughs> no, it's just beautiful because, you know, most of us with it our names beautiful. just are the name. It doesn't mean anything. Like Robbo doesn't mean anything. It means, you know, a guy <laughs> in, a, in a T-shirt too small with divinals written on it eating Tim Tams in the corner of the studio. I mean, that, that's essentially what Robbo means. It also means strength. <laughs> Determination, <laughs> willingness. <laughs> I will get through this whole pack. I will not stop. Pride right. will not let me stop finishing this packet of Tim Tams. I'm going to get to the breakdown. Uh, I will. I have indeed. got the streak. That's funny. I am there. I will make it to the next beer. <laughs> <laughs> This has been lovely. Thank you for your time, you Dan. It's really, uh, very, very nice to meet you. Good luck with the book. Uh, we'll put everything in the show notes and um, and I, I applaud your journey and I really thank you for being so honest and open on the show. Thank you, Gary, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Uh, now, before we finish up, uh, if you cast your mind back, it feels like a long time ago, but it was only a couple of shows ago. Episode 230, we had JP Donnell. For those of you who have been following the journey of the Mojo Radio Show, JP Donnell will be familiar to you. He is an elite Navy SEAL sniper. He now works with Jocko Willink and Leif Babin at Echelon Front. He is a guy who was one of the great Navy SEAL snipers who served alongside Chris Kyles. That's the setup. It was an amazing program and he's just a really cool guy. Something he said towards the back end of the show was fascinating for me. He said that literally he came back from service, got into the workforce, but then lost the plot. And he said he was an awful father, an awful husband. He was in a dark place. And it turned out that his testosterone levels had a lot to do with it. Do you remember that conversation we had with JP at the end of the show? Yeah, I sure do. So I spoke to Rob and I said, that's, that's just an interesting insight that you don't often hear talked about. So if we have anything medical that we need to delve into on the program, anything we need to know about nutrition, wellness, health, we always go to one person. Just ask Smitty. Lola, can you get Smitty on the line for us, please? Dialing Skype. Hello, it's Michael. Smitty. Hey, it's Gaz and Robert. How you doing, guys? It is indeed. Well picked. <laughs> oh, 
tell, you can tell that laugh a mile away. Uh, and I was, was going to say, you guys, yeah, and not many people go Smithy. No, that's right. Yeah, it's been uh, it's like, like the old nickname from the high school days. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder where that came up. We're so original, mate. Um, firstly, how? Where are you now? You are still living in Canada. Yeah, I'm on uh, sunny Vancouver Island, actually. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and you are. Basically, consulting to clients primarily in the states or all over the world on their health and wellness is that kind of still what you're doing? Yeah, anywhere in the world, like a lot of clients in the states, but even some random places like South Korea last week, um, Singapore, uh, Europe. So yeah, randomly anywhere, and still lots of Aussies. So yeah, got a lot of Australian clients still. So Rob, I spoke to Smivey following the JP Donnell show. Now, for those people who are brand new to the show, who haven't gone back, go back to a show we did with JP Donnell, who's a former Navy SEAL who now works with Echelon Front. And what was really profound about that was a fantastic interview. I mean, he was amazing. However, towards the end of the interview, he mentioned his levels of testosterone, which in his words were causing him not just strength issues, which we associate it to, but basically issues in all parts of his life. When he was finally diagnosed and fixed it, it was like a new JP. He then mentioned it on a couple of shows and guys started writing to him saying, hey, man, I was in the same boat. I've had mine tested. Now I've got it fixed. I'm a whole new man. So I got in touch with Smithy, suggested we get him on the line to talk about this whole situation around tea. So we really appreciate your time, Smithy. Just to start this off, just describe to us very quickly, what is testosterone? Well, testosterone, it's the main male sex hormone, but it's also important for women as well. But and a lot of people associate it with, you know, libido, sex, maybe muscles, but it's actually important for so many things from bone density, uh, motivation, mental health. So you're going to have things like depression and low mood and just, you know. You're working with people all over the world and I know you do a lot of work with this, particularly with blood tests, which we'll get onto in a second. Are you are you seeing the situation JP's in? Are you seeing that in different parts of the world? Are, are we low? You'll see low testosterone in, you know, maybe guys that you would expect to see it in, like they might be overweight, unhealthy, all the classic symptoms. You'll also see it in, I've seen low testosterone in bodybuilders, including one guy who was an Australian champion, Uh, people into biohacking and looking after their health, businessmen, anyone sort of burning the candle at both ends is at risk of uh, low testosterone. So it's becoming more and more common. See, sitting in the studio, my question is, how do we know? Because sadly, in a lot of cases, the norm in our lives can be a lack of performance. And we just put it down to the fact that we're working hard. And so the norm, sadly, is not being at our best. And we just accept that. How do we know how do we know our testosterone is low? What's it feel like? What are the best signals that our testosterone could be off? If you've got symptoms of uh, low sex drive and erectile dysfunction, like they're the classic symptoms. But if you've got those symptoms, your testosterone is going to be rock bottom. Like people often don't notice that when their symptoms are mildly low. So if you just got below average symptoms, you may still, you know, you may still get an erection, you may still be able to have sex, but you may have issues with just fatigue, poor recovery from the gym, 
uh, increased body fat, uh, you know, low mood or mood changes, irritability. There's, yeah, there's a whole range of symptoms that you may not even associate with testosterone. And, you know, even if you go to the doctor, the doctor may even tell you your testosterone levels are normal because they're in this really wide range from mm. you know, 150 to 800, but you want to be over 400. You might be 200 or 250, and they're like, yep, you're, you're good. But in actual fact, you've got the testosterone of a 70-year-old. Should I go to, is, is, is it something we need to go to a doctor to get checked, Smithy? Is that is that the normal protocol to, somebody hears this and goes, eh, I kind of feel a bit like JP. I have some of the stuff Smithy's talking about. Is it a doctor thing? Well, you can, you can definitely go to a doctor. Um, whether the, Often they won't check it, you know. It's like not covered by Medicare or, you know, if you're looking reasonably healthy, they often won't check it. Um, but you can always ask, and it's important to check the total testosterone as well as the free testosterone. So there can be a difference there. You may do total testosterone. You may be making plenty of testosterone, but you might have high levels of something called sex hormone binding globulins. You actually only have you actually have low levels of free testosterone. Your body might be making it, but because of you know stress and high cortisol and those types of issues. You've got this low free testosterone and lows, and then you've got all the symptoms. So you can definitely go to a doctor, but don't just take their word for it that it's uh, that it's optimal because it, you know you might be in that bottom end of the range. As I said, like the reference range is you know caters for guys from eighteen to eighty. You don't want to be in the seventy-year-old range. You want to be in you know whatever age group you're in. You want to be thirty or forty. And there's other tests um, that can go into a lot more detail about testosterone, like measure things like um, how it's getting metabolized and the precursors. So you can find out actually why it's low. Like it could be it could be the messages from the brain aren't going through to make testosterone, or it could be that you're making it and you've got low levels of the free testosterone. And depending on you know what's going on will depend on the best way to treat that low testosterone. See, my question is I can't imagine most GPs understanding what you're talking about. Do I go to, do I have to go to a specialist? Do I have to go to a pathology lab, ask for a particular test to measure total versus free, how my testosterone is metabolizing? Is that something I go to a normal GP with a list of what to ask for and they give me a recommendation to a pathology lab? Do I walk into a pathology lab? Like how do I... Who do I talk to to get this stuff? Because I just can't imagine your normal doctor's clinic who's pumping people out with prescriptions is going to know about this stuff. Yeah, they'll definitely know about testosterone, but they often don't see it as a major problem unless unless a guy's Mm. got a fertility issue or something like that. They're not really looking at optimizing someone's health. You could always start with your doctor and ask your doctor. These days there's a few private uh, pathology labs popping up, so you can um, maybe get it tested there. always go to planet naturopath website and we can organize testing of course um but yeah starting with your doctor is a good place and doctors see it as black and white you either got really low and then you may need testosterone replacement therapy or that it's you know in that range and they and you've got to just you know work with what you've got but it, you know it's you're still going to have all these low testosterone symptoms and not everyone with low testosterone needs uh testosterone replacement therapy either so that's their only answer if you've got low testosterone is to give you the medication. But if you're 
30, 40, or even 50, you know, that may not be the best option for you. Say we want to naturally increase our testosterone. Someone hears this and goes, it may be low. I don't really want to go and get tests. I just want to start including something into my day that helps me ensure that either it's high enough or to raise my testosterone. How do I do it in a natural sense, Smithy? Can I? Well, if you've got all those symptoms of low testosterone, starting with testing is probably a good way to start because it takes out the guesswork. Like it it rules out other things. And if it's low testosterone, well, then you've got like a starting point and then you can retest later. But in answer to your question, there's some really simple things that, you know, uh, that can help any condition actually. So probably the number one thing is sleep. Like if someone's not sleeping well, that's going to affect their testosterone. And some people think they might sleep okay. You know, they get six or seven hours a night. But if their you know, optimal sleep is seven or eight hours a night, they're missing that one hour a night a week. That, you know, that adds up to seven hours a week, a whole night's sleep a week they're missing out on. And that's probably the biggest cause of uh, low testosterone and higher cortisol. That's, yeah, tracking your sleep and getting to sleep. That's where shift work is a classic for um, low testosterone. Um, and people with sleep apnea or you know, virtually with sleep apnea and testosterone go hand in hand. So optimizing your sleep is probably the first place to start. Probably number two would be diet, just you know, eating, make sure you eat plenty of good fats. Uh, they're like the building blocks of hormones. Making sure you get enough protein, uh, you know, not too many sugars and things like that, but being on a low-carb diet is sometimes not the best if you've got low testosterone. So people like intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets are really popular these days. But if you've got low testosterone already, that's just like adding another stress to the body that may not be the best thing to do all the time. So short-term ketogenic diets or fasting can be great, but not doing it like all the time. And that's, you know, I see that a lot with business guys is that they they hear it's good. They feel fantastic, you know, fasting till lunchtime or even fasting till dinner time. some guys, and they end up with low testosterone from that. And then probably on the flip side is, is the vegan diet is another classic one for ending up with low testosterone. Is it really? Probably the, yeah, have you turned vegan, Robbo? No, I'm just interested because I keep I keep seeing all these people all over social media going, vegan's the way to go, vegan's the way to go, and you've just added another argument to my arsenal, that's all. <laughs> like you did one. Yeah, well, so many people feel so much better in that first month or two or three going on a vegan diet because it's usually cutting out a lot of crap and adding in lots of vegetables and fruits, so people do feel better. But it's the people on, the, on vegan diets for like, you know, six months, 12 months, going to take a while for low testosterone to occur. So you know, 12 months later, they're not really associating with why they're feeling flat and crappy with low testosterone in their vegan diet because it works so well for the first, you know, three months or so. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it's interesting. Um, I know you've been a guest on the Ben Greenfield show before, Smithy, who's probably, I mean, in terms of the word you use, biohackers, he's probably at the the top of the top of the field in terms of biohacking and understanding science and bringing it to us in podcasts. He's built quite a big empire based on that. But one thing he posted uh, on his own website, it was a, a guest post by a guy called Jay Campbell, who was a champion men's physique competitor, who wrote a book called Testosterone Optimization Bible. Um, and he's seen as being a guy at the 
you know, at the forefront of testosterone and all that goes with it. What was really curious about what Ben posted in this bit by Jay Campbell was that the testosterone and the rapid fall in sperm counts and fertility disorders that we're seeing can also be the result of long-term exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals, and that being things like Monsanto's Roundup. And we've got a guest coming up on the show, which I'm really looking forward to, Dr. Zach Bush, who has done a documentary called The Farmer's Footprint, which basically tracks the impact that these chemicals like Monsanto's Roundup uh, having on our health and well-being, and I'm just thinking: Have you heard much of a connection between what's happening in general health with these chemical sprays directly with testosterone? Well, that's something I actually test with clients sometimes, as things like glyphosates and other environmental toxins, and people are surprised at how high their levels are. And some of these people are eating organic diets and doing all the right things, and they just ex- but you're just exposed to so much more in the environment. Or they're not thinking that, you know, these cream, like creams and beauty products and a lot of guys these days are using them. They're putting them on their skin. So there's a lot of extra toxins in the environment. And a lot of these chemicals, we don't even know what they do. So that would be uh, probably an effect on increasing estrogen levels because they're xenoestrogens, like chemical estrogens. And that's what then brings down uh, testosterone. So you get the double whammy. Not only do you get low testosterone, but you end up with high estrogen and you know, body fat increases around the waist and the breasts and man boobs and things like that. Gary, time to rethink that foundation you were just telling me about, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that hair regrowth cream <laughs> yeah, that, I've, been, that, I've been lathering on. <laughs> um, just one final thing, Smithy. I think it might be the final. I may think of something else, but... Uh, The Mayo Clinic have done a lot of studies on testosterone. And one thing that I did see in my reading about testosterone is that there can, if you do go to a doctor or a specialist who does prescribe testosterone treatments, there can be side effects, can't there? Yeah, well, that increase of estrogen is probably the big one because testosterone can get converted into estrogen. So Initially, guys might get some of the benefits, but they can end up, especially if, if they haven't addressed the underlying cause. So if they've got low testosterone because of stress and inflammation and environmental chemicals and a crappy diet, they're still remaining. And it's more likely that that testosterone will get converted into estrogen. So you're better off like doing those simple steps I said before. And there's, you know, there's you know a few supplements you could do. There's even like reducing down stress and lifting weights and cutting out the long marathon training runs and things like that, like just reducing overall stress. So other, so there's definitely some benefits to, you know, testosterone replacement therapy, but I see it more for people who have tried everything else first. And I guess some of the more serious things, if someone's prone to heart disease, there's links associated with heart disease, there's links associated with prostate cancer. It's not going to increase fertility. It might increase testosterone, but not necessarily improve fertility. So there's definitely some cautions, but if someone's, you know, I kind of look at it, if someone's over 50, that's something they might try. If they're under 50, then they might want to look at you know, a lot of other things to, to boost testosterone first. 
But first you need to test and find out why it's low. You need to test if it's coming from like a brain issue. And I know JP had had, I think he he mentioned he'd had a traumatic brain injury and that can affect the messages from the brain to make testosterone. Or it can come from, yeah, all those stresses I mentioned earlier. Is it possible in day-to-day life for the someone who's not on medications or uh, regular medications or anything to go the other way, to have too much, too much testosterone? And what would those symptoms look like? That's pretty rare that someone would have too much testosterone. Right. Uh, it would be like an endocrine disorder if that was the case. Uh, but it could be, if that was the case, yeah, it would be a lot of like probably mood again, like in, angry and irritable and um, people with endocrine disorders often have high levels of something called 5-alpha-dihydroxy testosterone, which is this more androgenic version. And that leads to things like hair loss and prostate issues and, and those sort of things. And that's actually one of the dangers in testosterone replacement therapy is you can get too much of this 5-alpha-DHT and then that will lead to those, those things I mentioned like prostate and hair loss and uh, mood issues. What's wrong with hair loss? <laughs> Basically, another one of the like one of the drugs that is given for hair loss is something called finasteride to lower that 5-alpha DHT. But the thing is, it also would lower your overall testosterone. So you might have this hair, but no sex drive. <laughs> but no like. sex drive to use it with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a guy in the show called Johnny Johnny Bowden recently, who's 72 years old, and Johnny has no issues at all in terms of all the stuff we talked about. I mean, the guy's a stud. And he talked about this fallacy that as we get older, we start to go, oh, well, because I'm getting old. Does testosterone naturally drop as we get older? And can we counter that in order to keep our studliness? Well, it does naturally drop, but then people do, you know, they don't do things like Johnny's doing to maintain their testosterone levels. So he's probably doing the things we mentioned, optimizing his sleep, his diet, lifting heavy weights, making sure he's nutritionally dialed in. Whereas a lot of people when they're 50 and 60, you know, they stop even like sports or competitive sports, especially competitive sports is a great way to drive up your testosterone. And so they, they, they start, they stop doing all the things that promote testosterone and doing all the things that uh, maybe lead to low testosterone. So while it does naturally lower, there's, Definitely things you can do to reduce that, the rate that it will lower and how much it lowers. What about zinc, Smithy? I've heard that mentioned as a supplement that we could take to help with some of these symptoms we're talking about. What, what's your view on zinc? Zinc can help. Zinc helps by lowering something called the aromatase enzyme that stops that testosterone getting converted into estrogen. So it works on that. And it can actually help to boost testosterone production. So it works on those two mechanisms. It's mainly going to help guys that are low in zinc. And once again, it's not the standard. If you go to the doctor, uh, it's not the standard test they're going to check for. So you need to either ask or you know get it done privately. But zinc, um, guys with high iron, that's another one to watch out for. That will lead to increased inflammation, low, low testosterone. Low vitamin D would be another one that would lead to low testosterone. Uh, and then things like even low cholesterol, like everyone talks about cholesterol being bad, but cholesterol is the building blocks for hormones. So some guys actually, if they're on medications or lower, that could be 
a part of their issue. This is such an important conversation, Smithy. As always, you are a wealth of knowledge. For those who do want to pursue this, and if you are, and I've got to say that, and I've, I've spoken to quite a few guys who could be in this same situation that JP and others are in. For those that do want to get this done properly, Smithy, where do they find you? Where do you send them to? They just uh, check out my website, planetnaturopath.com. Uh, they, you know, they can contact me through that, through that and mention you guys and I can uh, you know, maybe give them a free 15-minute chat to have a chat to them and work out you know, what tests they might need to do. Like I normally do something called the Dutch hormone test that measures the, not just the sex hormones but the adrenal hormones in detail. Uh, sometimes you know, I can set people up with blood tests. That's probably a good place to start. Excellent. We love a good duchy. Um, this is very timely, I think, because Robbo's just cracked a half a century, Smithy. So I think uh, hence my questions about ageing and the like. So I think this is good timing for you, oh, mate. But I'm still playing competitive sports though, so I should be right by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah okay, um, let's, let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Smithy. It is all. Oh, no, just one one quick thing. You've mentioned guys a lot, but testosterone is not just a male thing. This also applies to ladies, doesn't it? Yeah, they can have too much or too little testosterone, and similar sort of things that can lead to the, some, you know, low libido, low mood, low sex drive. Uh, so, and a lot of the same causes, um, you know, that they need to address, like you know, making sure their diet's good and sleep and stress, and but women are. You know, with a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, they're the ones that possibly could have too much testosterone. This is a great conversation, Smithy. I could talk to you for hours about this. Mate, thank you so much for your wealth of knowledge. I'll put the link to your website into our show notes to make it easy for people to find you. So um, thanks again for your time, mate. Good to hear you. No worries, guys. We'll catch up for you next time. The Mojo Radio Show. One thing this room doesn't need any more of is testosterone, can I just say. I don't know. I think the voiceover booth could do with a shot. <laughs> yes, quite possibly. I mean, he has a lot of shots during the day. I'm awake. But oh, sh- careful. You just woke him a up. A shot of testosterone would not hurt. Mind you, he's got the voice of a man with testosterone. Yes, I give the show life and it's, you know, quite frankly, the least I can do. Indeed. Anyway. uh, Sorry, AP. Back to sleep, mate. Oh, don't mind if I do. That's been a big show. Let's close this little shindig out. Before we leave, folks, if you like what we do, as you will hear through the last six seasons, there's no advertising, there's no sponsors, but there is stuff we want to do to spread the word further around the world, uh, improve what we're doing here in the studio. And something that we've always wanted to do, which we are now going to do, should we get enough support on Patreon, is we want to do a tour T-shirt for the Mojo Radio Show. I'm going to do it. Let's do a belt buckle to go with it. <laughs> and some boob tubes for you. So we're going to... Um, Go to the Patreon page. I'll put the link in the show notes, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Put in the Mojo Radio Show. You'll see what we're doing. It's all about a reward system. And anyone who comes in and contributes, we will send you out this program. It's two and a half hours long, if not more. It's full of gold. It's full of fun. And you'll also receive the Backstage Pass, which is once a month we'll send you stuff off the cutting room floor that didn't go to air that gives you what's happening behind the scenes here in the studio at the Mojo Radio Show. Get on Patreon. Just give us, it can be a buck, just give us some support to help us do what we do. That would be really cool. And here's what Explosive Hits 2019 sounds like that you'll receive by supporting us on Patreon. The Mojo Radio Show has been keeping this under lock and key. 
Explosive Hits 2019. It's a priceless collection of mojo-changing hits with Noel Razor Smith. Ten years the things you learn in your criminal life in the straight line. I ain't spending Amy Moran. You have something like 65,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. A lot of them are going to be negative. A lot of them are filled with self-doubt. Explosive Hits 2019. 22 glittering stars with Tate Fletcher. Stop lying to yourself. That's what I would say first of all. You've got to stop lying. Ivor Davies, Maria Gronberg, Simon Marshall, and classic Correct Ashley. Because most people, they're living their life like there's no ramification to it. Think of the worst case scenario, and you go, that's it, I'm done. Explosive Hits 2019 with Dave Acosta. Now you're recognizing that being more aware is actually rewarding in a good way to you. Explosive Hits 2019. It's a pure gold collection. A bucket load of our greatest hits. And it's waiting for you on the Mojo Radio Show Patreon page. Out now from KTEL. I think that's going on lofty showreel. <laughs> Every time I watch MasterChef at the moment, I can't help but think about that show with the big man. Yeah, lofty 2.0. It's brilliant. Ah, uh, to take us out, what are we doing? Talking about changing your life, you need some fire in your belly to do that. How about some songs to do with fire? Lolly, you got any suggestions for some songs about fire? How's this one? Hmm. I don't know, mate. What do you reckon? Good song, but not really a play-out song for us, is it? Yeah, it's good. I don't know. Now, what else? Oh, you'd be into that one, mate. Come on. Do the Saints? I saw Chris Bailey, and I reckon it would have been back in the late 70s or late 90s in a pub, and I swear there were six people watching. That was back in the halcyon days of true pub rock in Australia. I love Chris Bailey and the Saints. However, to be fair... Uh, we should go another round. All right, Lola, roll one more. Oh, nice. John Mellencamp almost got a jersey last week. I reckon he deserves one this week, don't you? I do. And what's fascinating about uh, this guy is that we traditionally throw our life through the M's as one of the great rock networks of all time. He used to play a lot of Mellencamp. We've toured him a number of times. But he's mm. also the guy that, with Willie Nelson, started Farm Aid, which was mm-hmm. a concert series in America, hello, our friends over there in the States, to raise money in support of farmers and their wellness. So this is a guy who crosses the boundaries between rock and country. You've got to love this guy. Absolutely, and walks the talk, still lives in small-town America. All right, so Melon came to close, we agreed. Lola, happy with that? Sounds good to me. We're out. She had a dream, boy, was good one. So she chased after her dream with much desire. But when she got too close to her expectations,
So I chase the wind, that's all the city life requires. And the days of vanity went on forever. And he saw his days burn up like paper and fire. Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirdwhistle.com and to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.